Welcome back to the channel today, everyone. I am your host, Sarah Higdon. This is Transform to Freedom. Yeah, so it's been, what, a couple weeks now. Um, last week was interesting because... So I told you all two weeks ago when I got back from Los Angeles, I had kind of gotten the crud. I think some of these leftists gave me the crud. If you saw Blair White's video yesterday, she's right. We both got, we both got the crud. <laughs> we 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 all kind of got sick so somebody was giving us something it had to be the same people i'm just saying um and then last week i mean I, I i couldn't shake it i was tired had a headache all week and then um i worked on the weekend for the post-millennial and then right into monday there was a lot going on i still had a scratchy throat my voice was not great it's still a little iffy, um, but then I was leaving Tuesday morning, very, very, very early. I left Tuesday morning for um, Washington, D.C., actually, where I attended a film screening um, for a film called Everyone's Welcome. Um, it was a documentary by the Free the People organization, which I am excited to announce I have accepted a position as the digital marketing manager for. So I'm super excited. Um, it's a great organization. I'm actually wearing one of their shirts right now. So go to their website. And actually, I do have a, uh, I'm going to pull up their website here real quick so y'all can see. So freethepeople.org, um, it's a nonprofit. And it was started in 2016 by Matt and Terry Kibbe. And I'll play the little promo for you here real quick, actually. Let's talk about Free the People. We were tired of politics. We wanted to do something different. We wanted to reach new audiences. People are smart. They know when they're being sold to and they know when they're being lied to. They're getting tired of being told that they either need to fit into a red box or a blue box. I'd say that the main thing that we do is tell stories. The subjects in our films are real people. They're not Democrats or Republicans. Next generation is up for grabs, but white papers and downward sloping demand curves aren't gonna get it done. You have to make it real for people. You have to tell a story. The appeal of democratic socialism is that it feels personal it feels empathetic. These are ideologies that have killed millions of people, but that story isn't being told. We want to tell those stories. Everyone thought that viewers had no attention span, that you had to fit your message on a bumper sticker, but that's not what we wanted to do. And now you have people watching three or four hour long podcasts and hearing complex conversations. It was obvious there was a market for ideas. People are actually starving for them. We put together this amazing team of writers, videographers, artists, and technologists. We're nimble, we're scrappy, and we don't get bogged down in bureaucracy. One of the joys of entrepreneurship is to keep pushing yourself to always strive to get a little better. In just a few years, we went from making short videos for social media to making award-winning documentaries. We've got a real opportunity here, but we also face some enormous challenges. Critical race theory, the sort of woke authoritarianism, is really dangerous. We're regressing to the point where we're teaching our children to judge each other based on the color of their skin. COVID was a real wake-up call. 
you know, you never really realize how fragile our freedoms are and how quick we are to give them away. But we also figured out that when you treat people as individuals, when you work to build trust, you find out that there's a lot that you agree on and there's a lot of work that we can do together. Everybody knows the system is broken. We just have to figure out how to fix it. I'm actually incredibly optimistic about the future. We've done so much in the last five years. Just imagine how much more we're going to do in the next five. Liberty always wins in the end. You just can't keep free people down. But winning hearts and minds isn't easy. So I'm gonna need your help to make the next five years bigger, better, and even more effective. Free people work best when they work together. I know we can do it. How about you? So yeah, so that's um, super excited to be part of that. If you haven't seen, we have shows, some new stuff like um, uh, Adults Are Talking with Andrew Heaton, just as a new series that they start. we started last week. And then we've been doing, um, if you guys remember my, my interview with, uh, Lou Perez, uh, maybe a month or so ago, um, talking about the comedy as murder series. That's um, that's this organization. We uh, free the people. So go check it out. I'm super excited to be part of the team and super excited to you know share this content. Um, the documentary that we watched is about um, COVID lockdowns and. Um, you know, what happened when they, you know, watched the city of D.C. went after a single business who dared to defy lockdowns and not, you know, require people to, you know, show their vaccine cards and stuff like that. So um, when it gets premiered, I will be sharing, I will show, I will promote it to y'all and y'all can see it. But definitely go follow Free the People across social media platforms. I'm, like I said, I'm super excited to be working there. Um, and bringing the content to you. So, um, but let's get into the show. First story on today. So I obviously, because I was um, kind of off for a couple weeks, we haven't done anything. I had a lot to talk about last week, actually. So the first story, I kind of want to bring some stuff up to speed that was going on a couple weeks ago. So the first story actually is this one. Um, from the 20th, it was out of Ohio. Now, if you haven't seen this video, this video will make your blood boil. Like these cops, like this dad calls the cops to come in and speak to his daughter. Um, and it just kind of changes when they get there. So first he called around like six o'clock, I think it was. And then they didn't show up till midnight. Yeah, so he called at six. Police didn't show up till midnight. And this is what they had to say. I think this is what it was. Maybe this isn't the right. Let me see. There's got okay. This is. One second. I should have checked this. That's not the video, actually. Where's this video? Now I'm... Now I'm... Now I'm... 
video? Yes. Okay. Yeah. So, so the, my daughter was a victim of an online predator. She, he's a grown man who manipulated her into sending pictures of herself. This is the police response at midnight when they called at six. Hi. Uh, yeah, she's in bed now. It's, it's the well, what still happened though? Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just um, the whole point. I just want you guys to come over and talk to her. I mean, I just want her to realize what this was. I mean, reality is not much I can do about it, isn't it. I mean, she could probably get charged with child porn. Who she can? She's eleven years old. She's creating it, right? She's eleven years old. Doesn't matter. He's still making porn. No, she's not. She's being manipulated by a grown ass adult on the Is internet. she taking pictures of? You guys have a nice seat. Okay. Thank you for coming. Are you serious? Have a nice seat. So if you didn't make that out, um, this man called the police to talk to his daughter and explain the dangers of sending pictures online. His daughter is 11 years old. And the basically he was like, she's sleeping now. And they're like, you know, it still happened. Uh, he goes, yeah, but I just wanted y'all to talk to her. And they said, well, you know, she can be charged with distributing child porn. And he goes, and and he had the, I mean, this is why, why, why would any, any parent like report their child's abuse? Like, this is the thing is what, what are you going to do? Like you're like the police come and instead of investigating the adult who is manipulating this child into sending them pictures, they threaten the child with distributing child porn that's insane like this is insane like that is their response i mean those police officers should be fired point blank should be fired like if you're if you are going to ch charge an 11 year old with distributing child porn then you should be fired 11 year olds can't consent they don't they they are being manipulated by an adult they should be more worried about getting the contact information of the adult than trying to, you know, press charges on a child. This is, it, it's absolutely insane. You know, I, I haven't seen anything else about this instance lately, but I, I don't know what else to say about it. Like, again, like the, the person wrote on TikTok, like my daughter's a victim of an online predator and the police the police did nothing. The police don't care. The, these police officers did not care. Obviously, they showed up at eleven o'clock to talk. To, like, did the did the did the man try? Like, did they think that this guy called on his daughter to get her arrested? No, no parents going to do that. They were trying to have the police talk some sense into the child. And now, what happens? Like, this adult's not going to call the police when something's happening. Yeah, exactly. Roswell 1983 says children are stupid. She was groomed into yes, this is grooming behavior. Like y'all, like this is what grooming actually is. Like this is this is the thing is like this is why so many people say don't call the police because stuff like this. You call the police, 
to have them talk some sense into your child, make them understand the full ramifications of what is happening. And then they threaten to charge your 11 year old with child porn when it's an adult that's asking for it, you know, when it's an adult that they're communicating with online, asking your child to asking for them to tell your child, like, cause you can't get through to them that this is not proper behavior and that we, sh you shouldn't be, you know, communicating with adults online. And then they, then they do this and then they wonder how grooming happens in society. It's insane. I, I, I like, yeah, she created it, right? She's 11 years old. Doesn't matter. Still making porn. She's 11 years old. And this is the other thing. I mean, we've seen how many times, like when you call the police, like when people call, like when somebody calls the police and then they're the ones that end up shot or something, you know, it's like, yeah, police, the, you know, I, it's hard to condemn police sometimes because you know it's a difficult job. I have friends that are police officers and stuff like that. But it's like, then you see stuff like this and you're like, police aren't your friends. Police are never your friends. Even if you think you are, even if you have nothing to hide, even if you think you're doing the right thing and trying to call the police just to have them come talk to your 11 year old daughter who has made a friend online that, you know, has been grooming them. Um, yeah, that's not okay. This stuff makes my blood boil. Um, you know, but we do have some good news on the, on the trans front. And I think this happened even this week. So this is actually from NBC news where they report some providers are dropping gender affirming care, even in cases where it's legal. So in states where it's legal, you know, insurance providers are dropping care. Why? I am going to assume, I'm just going to say what I've been saying all along. I support the legislation, but what's really going to change this is lawsuits. Lawsuits are what's going to change everything. And, and that's what kind of how I reacted to this as well. Like when I see Chloe's law, like, cause what happens? So lawsuits, laws change, you know, laws make it illegal, but people are going to always try to skirt the law, you know, try to, you know, get by it. in every single case of, they always allow for exceptions for like clinical trials and, and stuff like that. And so, but what's going to change it is the lawsuits because that then de-incentivizes it. So right now the incentive, if the, if your incentive is money, I'm not going to say every, every provider's incentive is money, is money, but if your incentive is money, lawsuits are going to de-incentivize that because now you're looking at losing money if one of your patients feels like you misled them and that you manipulated them into transitioning. This is a good thing. This is a very good thing. Um, because, and, and honestly, some people are like, well, you know, talking about insurance coverage and stuff like that. Like, I think getting insurance coverage that supports your needs. Um, I think the free market in the insurance industry is a good thing. 
Um, personally, I pay out of pocket for most of my care. So, or, you know, um, so, I mean, that's not the case for everybody. Everybody can't do that. But I think insurance companies have the right to provide whatever coverage they, they, they feel necessary and, and everything like that. But, um, like this is, this, this doesn't show that this to me doesn't show that things are, you know, I think it's mostly, and I think that the providers are actually mostly just dropping coverage for, um, care for children transitioning, which again, I don't support, um, I think, you know, I think if you move to a, yeah, yeah, so Lindsay um, says healthcare should be affordable, not free. Yeah, and I think the free market does that. I think if you reduce re reduce restrictions into healthcare, um, take the government aspect out of it, I actually think you get more affordable healthcare. Because um, right now, a lot of government regulations are what's causing prices to go up, especially through because most of the people on staff are administrators and everything like that. Yeah. So, so that was a big win this last week. Um, along with this, now this has actually had some, um, I've seen some mixed reactions even among people about this. So federal court rules, trans activists are not marginalized. It actually allows Tennessee and Kentucky to ban child sex changes. They upheld their laws, right? They upheld the, uh, so, so they, um, <clears throat> the federal, I think it was a court of appeals upheld Tennessee and Kentucky's laws that banned gender transition for minors, which of course y'all know I support the bans that stop, um, I, that stop children from transitioning. Now, that what was interesting about this, and this is really what kind of started to get, I think some people were kind of concerned because it says, um, well, first, I mean, the ruling stated the concept of gender dysphoria as a medical condition is relatively new and the use of drug treatments to change or modify a child's sex characteristics is even more recent. Um which is true. We don't, there's not, there's not really any studies that uphold it. And even like right now, the FDA, like puberty blockers and all this stuff is prescribed off label to minors because there haven't been the studies. So I've always kind of said that what's happening to children, what's happening right now is a massive medical experiment on children to see what these drugs do. Um, when you need to scale it back, you need to ban it. And then, you know, you do the clinical trials. And when you do the clinical trials, yes, you're going to take some of the most extreme cases to see if it works for them. But again, that's the most extreme cases. And and and, and it's, it's the same with, I mean, some people might say, like, even if you're taking the most extreme cases, we shouldn't even look at the most extreme cases. When in reality, if you really want to look at medical diagnoses and it's sad to say, like, this is the type of stuff that happens with just about every, um, every disease, every, um, you know, trial, every clinical trial and stuff like that. Like a parent could opt their child into a clinical trial. And if they were, if they, if they meet 
the, the strict criteria, then you do it. But there has to be a way to test these things to see if they are beneficial, see if puberty blockers are actually fully reversible, which I don't believe that they are. They've kind of been shown not to be. Um, but so every state, even Tennessee and Kentucky that has passed these laws, they all have exceptions for clinical trials. So everybody knows like there is exceptions. And the reason why there's exceptions is so that they can, what they're doing is what I would advocate for is putting a full, putting a pause on this as putting a pause as, you know, we don't know yet, but we can, you know, look at this as um, we can look at certain trials on it. Um, but that would be obviously the most extreme cases um, to see if it works um, and see if it helps. Now, um, what a lot of people had an issue with, let me see if I can find this part of it. Um, so part of it, though, it says the plaintiffs and the federal government separately invoke a distinct theory of equal protection under the 14th Amendment. Um that the act violates the right of sus of a sus suspect class, transgender individuals. But neither the Supreme Court nor this court has recognized transgender status as a suspect class or a protected class until that changes rational basis review applies, the ruling states. Um, there was another part in this as well. So um, let me see where this says. And so other considerations that the court has highlighted when recognizing a new suspect class do not improve plaintiff's chances of success of being recognized as a new suspect class, which the Supreme Court has not done for decades to be considered a rule, a ruling class for the group needs to be considered a politically powerless group. Transgender people, queer people are not a politically powerless group. I mean, they were at the White House. The White House has celebrated them. That is not a politically powerless group. You have the ear of the highest politicians in the land, right? So it says, whatever may be true in the past about our society's treatments of individuals, gender dysphoria, some of it surely lamentable. It is difficult to maintain that the democratic process remains broken on this issue today. The president of the United States and the Justice Department support the plaintiffs. That's, yeah, so, I mean, they're supporting them. So how can you say that they are a, you know, criminally justified? A national anti-discrimination law, Title what is it, 12, protects transgender, or no, it's 7, protects transgender individuals in the employment setting. 14 states have passed laws specifically allowing the treatment sought here. 20 states have joined an amicus brief in support of the plaintiffs. The major medical organizations support the plaintiffs, and the only large firm that make an appearance in this case at all enter controversy in support of the plaintiffs. These are not hallmarks of a skewed, unfair political process, and they offer no explanation for inviting a greater political dysfunctional problem. The difficulty amending the Constitution if federal courts err in choosing to occupy a field. Um, basically, 
there was a point though it also i mean they, they did say um but they basically are saying yeah trans people are not a marginal group which really not and then it, this is all about children and big pharma and what medications to provide children now there was an area in here i forget let me see if it's in this screenshot um there was an area that i had read that talked about it being that being trans is not something you're born with it's not because it's not something you can see at birth so it's not a it's not a um it's not a condition that you would see when a person's born. And somebody had to kind of mention that that is something that not even you, you wouldn't even see this if you were, um, if, if you're LGBT, if you're LGB or as well. So it's like, you know, to get a protected status, you have to see it. it it's something that has to be, it has to be an immutable characteristic that's at birth. And it's interesting because, yes, I do believe that true gender dysphoria um, is something that is caused at birth. It's not something you can see at birth, um, everything like that, right? And so they're, they're talking about taking away, you know, special status from even LGBT, LGB people. And here's the thing. I personally don't think that we, we have... Like the, the, the even idea of a protected class in the society in 2023 is crazy to me. Like the fact that we can't let the free market play out, let the free market do its thing. I mean, in tw this is 2023, you know, it's not the 1960s and not the 1980s. Um, we're in an era where I truly believe that we are the most free. You know, the free market can play itself out. There is, there should be no such thing as a protected status. If you are a protected class, I feel like that is some sort of like bigotry of low expectations, right? Like, so it's not equality because you are expecting that people are going to treat you different because you are part of a protected status because you somehow are not equal to the rest. So I, I really think that calling me, saying that I'm part of a protected class, like actually lowers me in value. And I don't lower myself below anybody. So like it's kind of like the whole notion of punching down. We've talked about this on this channel before. Like, like we don't we don't punch, you know, there is no such thing as punching down. Because there is no lower class. Like everybody gets treated equal, you know? So I, I, I just don't, I, I don't see the reasoning behind a lot of these, you know, even having protected classes at the, at this stage in time. So um, I just don't. So this, again, this was, a, this was, a, this is a win to me because this tells me like, I've, I've kind of been worried that some of these, these bills are going to be overturned uh, based on 14th amendment violations and not because of the reasons why they are saying, because it's a, it's a discriminatory against a protected class. No, I think it's actually, 
um, because I've talked about it is uh, if you if you specify gender dysphoria and you say that a female can get breast augmentation, but a male cannot get breast augmentation. And that is somehow. And, and so that's OK. That's actually not OK because you sh it should be equal treatment. And I do believe I don't believe that anybody under the age of 18 should get, be getting life altering elective surgeries, whether it's male, female. If a, if a female wants to get breast implants at 16, I don't agree with that. Just like I don't agree with a male getting breast implants at 16. So let's just go. <laughs> oh, John. So you're actually, so you're at the, so John says he is at the bar listening with headphones. Thank you so much. That is, uh, I love, I, it is always fun when, when people I like are, I'm watching and I'm at the bar and. Hey, cheers, you know. Um, but yeah, so I think these were these were some big wins this week. Now this is crazy, and this isn't in the US. So, but the next story is <laughs> when all these people are calling everybody else Nazis, the Canadian House of Commons gives a standing ovation to an actual Nazi. You can't make this up. You really can't. I mean, this was, wow. Um, if you didn't see this, um, I'll just play the video for you real quick. Oh. We have here in the chamber today, Ukrainian Canadians, Ukrainian Canadian world veteran from the second world war who fought the Ukrainian independence against the Russians and continues to support the troops today, even at his age of 98. But I'm very proud to say that he is from North Bay and from my riding of Nipissing to Miskaming. I mean, so they continue to gush over this guy and it's, I mean, it's like, yes. And apparently I think he, um, what I saw is he was a guest. So he, he was a guest of Vladimir Zelensky, the president of Ukraine. And Justin Trudeau has basically brushed this whole thing off. Everybody's kind of placed it on um, the uh, the speaker of their house. I don't um, exactly know how their government completely works, but it kind of their speaker of their house. Um, and yeah, so Yaroslav Hunka was part of the 14th Division of the Waffen SS fighting against the, the then Soviet Union, which is amazing to me that people don't even think about history, right? They're just thinking, oh, he fought the Russians then, and now we're we're trying to fight the Russians now, you know. But they didn't think that, you know, the Soviet Union was on the side of the Allied forces. And so this guy was actually fighting on the side of the Axis forces, which were actually 
they, they fought with the 14th Galactica Division, which is a section of the Nazi SS. And I didn't really, and, and, and actually during the Nuremberg trials, they were considered a criminal organization. Um, it's kind of insane, right? So they were, they were considered a criminal organization during the Nuremberg trials. And there was a lot that came out about this guy actually afterwards. Like there was pictures of him and his uniform and everything like that. And the Canadians just lapping it up, praising this 98-year-old man who's a Nazi, while at the same time calling anybody that disagrees with them Nazis. Interesting, interesting, interesting. What is it? Um, well, I didn't actually even realize there's a lot of Nazis living in Canada, like actual Nazis living in Canada that left after. So they, they fled, um, they, they fled to Canada after world war two. Like they were given asylum. I didn't even realize this. I guess there was a lot that happened. Like, I guess a lot came to the U S too. So honestly, I mean, this guy, I mean, he was 98. So when you're, when you're really looking at it, a lot of them probably have passed away since then, but a lot of like, it's really interesting. And, and what they didn't even look at was their own. Canada was allies of Russia and would have been an enemy to this guy. It's so embarrassing. Now, even more embarrassing. Now, if you saw the days after this, they were all kind of um, like the they tried to actually have this whole thing stricken from the record. And the conservatives in Canada were like, no. We're not going to strike this from the record. You can't hide your embarrassment. Like the liberal party cannot hide their embarrassment that they base, they, they honored a Nazi in their parliament. Like we, this can't be like, we, we can't, you know, we can't erase history like this. Like, you know, if you, if you erase this, then you're doomed to repeat it. And this is something that they were so embarrassed by that they had to try to erase it. What's really interesting is the one of the people that was speaking up, um, she was one of the ones that was trying to get this stricken from the record. But here she was again. So this is kind of just talking about her. She was trying to, she she tried to call the uh, she was one of the ones that stood and she tried to call um, the Canadian truckers. Remember the trucker protest during COVID? She tried to call them Nazis and tried to say that, you know, using the term honk honk was code for hail hitler and here's what she said how much vitriol do we have to see of honk honk which is an acronym for hail hitler do we need to see by these protesters on social media how much vitriol and she stood for an actual nazi You can't make this up, folks. You really, really can't make this up. And you also can't make up the story of a Democrat congressman pulling the fire alarm in what appeared to be as an attempt to delay the vote on a spending bill which didn't it didn't fund Ukraine. So 
at the last hour on Sunday, um, uh, was it Sunday or Saturday? It was Saturday. So last minute on Saturday, the GOP House, led House, um, passed a spending bill, which it's a 45-day basically uh, continuing resolution so that they can keep the government open for 45 more days. I don't know why you would want to do that. Government's useless. But, you know, leave it open for 45 days and... Here we go. I mean, we have a Democrat congressman. What's his name? Uh, Jamal Brown, I think. Bowman. So Jamal Bowman pulled the fire alarm. Now, it was not in the Capitol building, but it's kind of ironic, right? So he's pulling a fire. He pulls a fire alarm, what appears to be an attempt to stop the, the vote, um, which I don't know if I know if that's the reason why he did it, but it doesn't make any any sense as to why he actually did this. Um, but you can see, I mean, this is him. He's pulling the fire alarm. Now, there's been some pictures that show the signs that say, do not exit here. Do not exit here. Like, alarm will sound, everything like that. Um. Uh, I mean, this is one person says this is the United States Congress, not in New York City high school to pull the fire alarm to disrupt proceedings when we are trying to draft legislation to avert It's pathetic, even members of the social squad. Like. A lot of people have been calling this an insurrection, right? They're tr trying to disrupt proceedings just like they did on January 6th. They were trying to disrupt it. Uh, you know, it's it's it is quite. It's just pathetic. Um, people have been calling for him to be arrested. And there was rumors or something that he had been taken into custody after he did this. But um, trying to interfere with, with an official proceeding. I mean, that's exactly what this would be. I mean, that's Marjorie Taylor Greene saying it. But it's so crazy. So this this is his uh, this is his official statement on what happened. Right. So he said. I want to personally clear up some confusion about surrounding today's events. Today, as I was rushing to make a vote, I came to a door that is usually open for votes, but today would not open. I'm embarrassed to admit that I activated the fire alarm, mistakenly thinking it would open the door. I regret this and sincerely apologize for any confusion this caused. But I want to be very clear. This was not me in any way, trying to delay a vote. It was the exact opposite. I was trying urgently to get a vote, which I ultimately did, and joined my colleagues in a bipartisan effort to keep our government open. I also met after, after the vote with Sergeant of Arms and the Capitol Police at their request and explained what had happened. My hope is no one will make more of this than it was. I'm working very hard every day including today to do my job and do it well and deliver for my constituents. Y'all. Oh, wrong. Let me see. It's a red box on the wall that says fire on it. Yeah. I mean, remember, the, you know, the whole thing that they say about free speech is not free because like yelling fire in a crowded building, this could be dangerous, right? So this is 
one of those things that it's not free speech. Um, right. So to, I, this could, this is either one of two things, y'all. This is either, this is either a straight up lie. And he absolutely was trying to delay the vote and he pulled the fire alarm or it's incompetence to the point where he should not be in Congress in the first place. Okay. Like if he is so incompetent that, you know, he can't, he doesn't know that the alarm is going to sound when there's a sign that says the alarm will sound. And he, if he's so incompetent as a, I don't know how old he is, but as a grown ass man who doesn't know that when you pull that fire alarm, the alarm's going to sound. And that is actually, you know, it's, it's not okay. It's going to cause an issue with everybody else. Then you shouldn't be in Congress passing laws that everybody else has to abide by because you are so clearly stupid that you can't, you don't even know basic common sense. Like, honestly, Willow is exactly right. Kids in elementary schools will get suspended for pulling the firearm. Elementary school kids, the first thing you're taught is do not pull that. The alarm will go off and you will be in trouble. How does a congressman not understand this? So either you're telling the truth and you're just plain incompetent or you're completely lying through your face. I don't know which one is actually worse. You tell me which one's worse. I don't know. What do y'all think? Which one's worse? <laughs> which is worse? Um, <laughs> you know, yeah. This whole, like, honestly, I'm, I'm, I told you, I'm like, I... The, the, the government can shut down and stay down for all I care. I think that, you know, I think we've kind of figured this out, like libertarians, like honestly, the federal government, what are they actually providing? Like I'm somebody who served in the military and I understand that our, our, like our military doesn't go, doesn't like protect our shores. We deploy overseas to fight other people's wars at this point. If they were drawn back to, you know, um, if if our military was to be just a set sedentary force, I would have a different I would have a different um, perspective on this because I I'd be like you know what we have a standing military that's providing protection for our borders, but they're not doing that right now. Um, so shut it down. And the other thing too is like in a government shutdown, like all those you know services like the military that are, you know, considered needed services, they still get paid once the government funds. Honestly, it's kind of like when we were back in COVID. If you are not an essential worker, if you're not considered an essential worker during COVID or during an emergency or during a government shut, if you're, if you're not an essential worker during a government shutdown, then you're not an essential worker, period. And your job could probably go away. Um, so, you know, <laughs> I, I, I think that's the case. Like anybody who like what they should do is be like, okay, these are our essential workers. This is our essential pool of workers. If we shut down these people still have to work. 
and they already have that list. So all Republicans need to be really do is go, this is our list of people that work in a government shutdown either way. How about these are the only people that we actually fund? Like, let's start there. Let's start with that list and go and, and you know, and then we can see what is actually essential. But if you're an essential worker during a government shutdown, then maybe that's the only essential workers in government, period. Everybody else doesn't get paid. Everybody else goes and works in the private sector. I mean, seems like a pretty good plan to me. So, I mean, yeah. Well, let's see. What's moving on? Oh, my God. I had to, I, I, this one. It's not even a big story, y'all. But, you know, I, I, it's frustrating to me because so many people are talking about Robert F. Kennedy Jr. And I, I'll say I think there's stuff that I like about RFK. His anti-authoritarianism, his, you know, anti-government, you know, federal agency stances, his anti, you know, COVID stances and, and some of his stuff there has been so has been good. And I understand why a lot of libertarians like him. It's like Tulsi Gabbard. I like Tulsi Gabbard. I liked her then, but I she was not a Second Amendment supporter and neither is Robert F. Kennedy Jr., um, and so there's different things that, you know, I can never vote for somebody like this, but I, I support what they're doing. I support their plight in these movements. Um, you know, he, he's he's actually not, you know, an interventionist, which I actually think is great to see anywhere in government. Same with Tulsi. Um, so, but this got me. And so obviously I talk a lot, but this got me. I, I don't get this stance right here. So. RFK said 30-year fixed mortgages are now over 8%. No one can afford to buy now. Rents shoot shooting up too. Time to implement my plan of tax-free, government-backed 3% mortgage bonds to make home ownership accessible again. Tax-free sounds good. I, I agree there. Um, but Government-backed anything is a bad, bad, bad idea. I said it right here. I said government-backed loan. I mean, government-backed loan is exactly why the student loan crisis is the way that it is, right? So it's the reason why that student, like, student loan debt is through the roof. What happens is... And, and basically, he's advocating to do the same thing for housing. What happens is... Because the government backs it, you know, the government's always the government's always going to get their money back. They're always going to get their money back. So for student loans, what they did is they said, we're going to back student loans because no financial institution in their right mind would actually issue a loan to somebody with zero credit, zero credit history and zero income. There's nobody in their right mind that would take that chance. And so the government backed it. And then because the government backs it, then universities start to increase their rates, right? So they can start to increase their rates and they increase their rates more and more and more. 
And so now that's why we have such high student loans. We have such high, you know, the cost to go to school is so high because they know the the universities know they're going to get their money because the government is backing these loans. The government's paying for it. And the issue then is that the government, you know, a student loan is the only loan that cannot be dissolved through bankruptcy. And that's by design. So what ends up happening is do this to mortgages. What do you think happens? The bank starts, and, and, and actually somebody said uh, mortgage crisis 2.0. Remember in the early 2008s? So I, I do. My mom's actually a real estate agent. And so in the early 2008, uh, what happened is Dodd-Frank forced banks to issue bad loans or, you know, subprime mortgage loans. And so that they would issue these loans to people that were not good candidates for loans. And then what started happening? And, and actually to people that couldn't afford these loans, just because they Dodd-Frank said that, People had a right to own a house. And so what starts to happen, they start to, you know, banks are now forced to issue these loans. And so you issue loans that people can't pay back. And then people start to foreclose on these houses. So they, go, so they come in, take their houses. And then you have basically, as people start to foreclose on their houses, because we're in the middle of a recession, um, it creates this spiral to where now the everybody's housing values are just dropping like crazy. Um, and that's what he wants to do here. Except for he wants to take it, he wants to take Dodd-Frank basically a step further. He wants to say a, you know, he wants a government-backed loan. So instead of just the government forcing these loans, the government backed loan. And so you're stuck with this debt for the rest of your life. If you make a bad debt, make a bad loan, which as a homeowner myself, I, it's like, you know what, what this would do is cause my housing values to completely skyrocket, but it also causes more inflation and everything else in the market. And it's just not a good idea. It's just not. So, um, yeah, it's just such a bad idea. I can't. And these types of things are reason why I could I, I would never be able to support somebody like JFK and their or RFK. Wow. Um, um, I would never be able to support him. I mean, I, I saw him at Freedom Fest. I was at an event with him at Freedom Fest. Um, I think his free speech stuff is good. I think a lot of I think some of the stuff he's doing is good. I think he's 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 bucking the system a little bit right now. Um, and unfortunately, I mean, there's some libertarians out there who are trying to say that he should be running as a libertarian if he runs independent, because it looks like he's going to announce his independent run. He's not a libertarian, folks. He believes in government. He, he believes way too much in big government. He definitely is a Democrat. Like he is a liberal. He's just not a progressive Democrat. He's not part of the inner establishment. I mean, he is a Kennedy, so he's not with he's not in you know, the, the deep state establishment. So he's, he, he, he really is not who we want running, you know? Um, but yeah, yes, psycho. It's nice to see you. Um, yeah, my, my stream has been a little bit inconsistent lately because I've been traveling doing all that stuff. And I kind of explained off the top of the hour that yes, I was, uh, I was kind of sick last week and I also traveled to DC on Tuesday. So it just, 
it just wasn't working for me. So we're back. We should be back at the normal time, this normal time on Monday from here on out. So everybody knows. Okay. So, but it's good to be back. Um, it's good to see you. Um, <clears throat> and I mean, this is the thing that anything that's government, government backed, anything that's government funded provided, like when government does anything, it usually has the opposite effect as to what they say it's going to do. The Inflation Reduction Act. It, I mean, it was a Green New Deal, right? Basically, it's caused inflation. It hasn't reduced any inflation. Um, it was, you know, ill-named, obviously, because that's what they do. They ill-name everything. Um, think about, like, the insulin. Like, the insulin... Uh, was it the, the the price caps on medication and insulin and stuff like that? Like what happens there is they put a price cap on insulin. Then you know what happens is because you know because medical organiz you know medical provide like the uh, the manufacturers can't really turn a profit on it. Then they then they uh, you end up getting shortages of it. When really all they have to do is. Like uh, all all they all they have to do is then actually deregulate it. If you completely deregulate it and you make it open source, so that any any manufacturer can make it, then guess what? Prices go down because you have a whole lot more supply out there. The you know you 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 bring supply up to match the demand, and then prices go down. Like, I don't think anybody in government has actually taken an econ class ever because this is basic econ 101 stuff again. <laughs> it, it's absolutely insane. But yes. But all right, y'all. Um, with that, um, it's been a good show. I am glad you all joined. Like I said, we should be back coming up on Mondays from now on. We are streaming across Twitter. Yes, it's still Twitter. They haven't given me a subscription, so I will continue to dead name it until they do. Um, Twitter, YouTube, Rumble, and Facebook. Um, make sure you follow me across all social media platforms. Go to my website. Check it out. Go to the Free the People website. It's in the link below. Um, check them out. There's some sweet merch on there. There's a whole lot there. And there's honestly, you can go, go on there and you can watch some of the documents. I'm super excited to be part of the team. And um, like, go, go follow them. Uh, I mean, go. To. Twitter, Rumble, Odyssey, Instagram, Facebook. Um, and then you can go and if you know uh, Matt Kibbe, Matt Kibbe's, um, Matt Kibbe's show is on Free the People, um, but it's also on theblaze.com. So you can go follow us at all, everything there. Just go follow. And um, I enjoy talking to you, to y'all. And um, and I, I believe... I'm pretty sure that my Jubilee video. Now, if you haven't seen, um, go watch Blair White's video um, that she put out yesterday because she she drops the T. And honestly, she's right. This was insane.
And what I think you're going to find, um, while Blair is definitely the target of their attacks, um, there were quite a few times where um, me and her were going toe-to-toe with these leftists. And I'm not too excitable. I don't get to it. You know, being former military myself, I'm not super excitable. Like, it's hard to knock me off, you know, more my, my even-keeled manner that I am. Um, and so I like to drop little pop shots here and there when I need to and just make people look foolish with knowledge. And that's kind of what I believe that my role in this was. Um, but I believe that that video is going to be out next Sunday. Um, from what I've been told and what we're hearing is it's going to be on Sunday, the 8th, which is also my birthday. Um, so that'll be really good too. And, um, yeah, again, so watch out for that. It's gonna be crazy. Um, and I, don't know exactly what I'm going to be doing that day. I will probably do some sort of reaction, whether it's on Sunday or we will just watch the entire thing here on Monday. I'm not sure yet. Um, I I don't know yet. Um, but just keep an eye on my socials for that. And um, yeah. But again, click that like and subscribe button. Follow me across all social media platforms. Again, I always like to shout out Rumble because if I get you know, yeeted, yeeted from YouTube. Um, that's where you will probably be able to find it. And like I said, um, I'm always on, um, Twitter as well. So I'm streaming on Twitter. That's probably the, the next, probably the other blessed place to find me. Um, but I'm always on Twitter and you can see me there and I will see y'all next time.